Thank you for listening to the AW360 podcast from Advertising Week. In this episode, I'm pleased to feature Neil Sweeney, CEO and founder of Reclaim. Neil discusses Reclaim's unique approach to the modern consumer data dilemma, an approach that rewards consumers for the data they elect to share with marketers. For more information about Reclaim, visit their website at reclaimyours.com. That's R-E-K-L-A-I-M-Y-O-U-R-S.com. Neil Sweeney, welcome to the AW360 podcast. I'm pleased to have you on today. Thanks for having me. As I understand it, this week is probably a pretty busy week for you as you guys are undergoing a rebrand. Is that right? It is. It's, you know, there's a, a lot of work uh, being done up until the kind of the final push. So we've been busy all quarter. So no rest in the summer, that's for sure. But yeah, the rebrand comes out. Um, the rebrand comes out on September 9th officially. Uh, so final last minute little tweaks and changes are underway. Tell me a little bit about Killy Now Reclaim and not only what you do, but the reasoning behind the rebranding, if that's related at all. Yeah, it is. I mean, at, at the most basic level, I think what we were trying, what we're trying to do with the rebrand of Reclaim and Reclaim is spelled with a K, not a C, is when we looked at the market, and this really talks to kind of the origin story of Killy, is that we, we felt that the big gap in the data market really was that, you know, first of all, we're all consumers. So as a consumer, I think we would acknowledge that we have a data profile. Uh, depending upon each individual's level of sophistication regarding the data market, um, I think generally most people understand that there's a data profile. They know data is being collected. But I think what we felt was that there was no accessibility for you as a consumer to actually see the data that is being collected on you. And if you kind of get down that rabbit hole, first, first the notion of, well, can we provide you with access to your data? Can we provide you with the visibility of who's buying your data? Can we provide you with the optionality to allow you to edit that data, to opt out of that data, to be compensated for that data? This seems quite intuitive. Um, and we felt that this was really the big gap in the market in that, you know, in the U.S., this is a $250 billion a year market, that being the data market. It's a $400 plus billion a year market. Every company in the world is using data to power their business. But yet the only person that doesn't have access to the data is the person who's actually providing it. And that's you. And that's me. So we think that this is a huge gap in the market. And we think that with a lot of the changes that are happening specifically around privacy legislation and then changes regarding the deprecation of the cookie and the removal of the mobile advertising ID, really any of the technology that's allowing people to kind of track you online is going away. This is ushering in this new world of, of data. And we, we believe when you fast forward, you know, a year from now, um, the notion of third-party data, that's data that's collected without any uh, inclusion of the consumer is going to zero. We also believe that, you know, the data market is going to be regulated to actually require the inclusion of the consumer. And if that's the case, who is the company? What is the destination that can do that? The last thing I'll say is that, you know, as it relates to the rebrand, there's a lot of research that we did here. And I think I talk a lot about it internally, just this idea that, you know, everyone's familiar with the emergence of the direct-to-consumer brands. These are obviously direct-to-consumer, heavily dependent upon data, looking to unseat incumbents in pretty much every category around the world. 
we're all familiar with Instacart and Uber and Allbirds and uh, Warby Parker and Robinhood, et cetera. And I think for us, what we sort of looked at was, okay, you have all these direct-to-consumer companies, and then you have all these fintech companies. Robinhood as a company, for instance, is trying to democratize trading for 30 to 40 million Americans. Who is the destination or the consumer-facing brand that is trying to democratize data for the consumer? There isn't one. So, you know, I think the, 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 the intention here was to establish really kind of a consumer facing brand to provide a destination to consumers to allow them to see, view, edit, et cetera, their data. And we believe that this is a really important piece considering that realistically every single person on the planet over the age of 16 currently has a data profile that's being used and they don't really have any inclusion in that. So that's a, that's, you know, a few years worth of development and thinking kind of in 30 seconds, but that gives you some context. So when it comes to the solution that, that you guys are providing, you recently launched something called My Footprint. Is that the consumer-facing solution then? It's part of it. I'd say, you know, when we started this business, we thought or we, we kind of gravitated to this notion that your data equals money. So the general, the general feeling is, is that when you take all of the, your data today, and you look at all the companies that are using it today, and you look at all the value that they're generating from it today and or what they're paying to buy that data, your profile as a consumer is worth approximately $6,000 per year. So you as a consumer don't get any of that. Uh, Facebook, Google, Oracle, whomever, they're all getting, uh, they're getting access to that data. They're using it to power their business to make money. Um, so for us, when we started this business, we thought, well, we're going to provide Richard with an opportunity to make money from his data. You know, that's technically true. And I think that that is a gap in the market. But what we kind of have realized really over the last year and what I, what I often tell everybody as it relates to this rebrand is like the, the rebrand is not a new coat of paint and a logo. It's really, you know, a new color palette for sure. But it's really a recentering or a rethinking of, well, what have we learned over the past year? What's still what's still relevant? What are we solving? And so it's an incorporation really of all the lessons and the learnings that you've incorporated where you've, you've fallen on top of over the past year. One of these things, Richard, has been this notion that, yes, data um, equals money, but in order for you to be compensated for your data, you first need access to that data. Access is a prerequisite for the optionality of compensation. In the same way that, you know, you might choose not to be compensated, you might choose to actually opt out entirely. Um, again, both of those are really a byproduct of access. So my footprint um, is sort of a riff on that or an iteration of that, which is let's provide you first with access to your data. Let's provide you with the optionality to be compensated for your data. And when you are compensated for your data, let's provide you with the visibility and the transparency of who's exactly buying your data. Now that might seem again intuitive, but if you look at it, Who's the company in the world providing consumers with access to their data today? Us. That's it. We're the only ones that are doing that. Who is the company today that is providing the optionality for compensation through a passive weekly paycheck? Only us. Who's the company in the world that is providing consumers with the visibility and transparency of the brands that are actually buying their data today? Only us. So like we're doing a lot of global market first year as it relates to the data marketplace. And so my footprint was really just trying to provide you with that visibility of, hey, if you're going to choose to be compensated for your data or be part of the compensation equation, um, it only is natural 
that you should actually see who's purchasing your data. Um, the opposite of that would be you'd have a bank account and you don't have a transaction record. So that's currently how the data market works. You don't have access to a bank account and you don't have access to, you know, kind of the transactions that are happening on top of that. We're trying to provide that accessibility and visibility in the marketplace, which really nobody else has been doing. Sounds like the old way was a lot more bleak than I would have thought moment to moment the way you put it. You know, when you when you talk about the democratization of data, what does that mean in terms of you know sort of the history I have or anyone has when it comes to sharing their data online? So for example, if I have a 20-year history shopping here, there, or everywhere, what sort of data are you able to retrieve from me that I can then see? And then from that point on, can I pick and choose which data I would like to share? Or are there, you know, is it a fully opt-in or opt-out type scenario? Yeah. So, you know, first of all, kind of looking at the, the data market, the data market is a black box of human arbitrage, period. And if you look at kind of how any company is being built today, could you build a business based on those same parameters in today's um, in today's sort of socially conscious world? I don't think you could. I don't think you could build a data brokerage firm in today's world. Um, I don't think you could build a traditional data management platform uh, in today's world because, you know, again, riffing back to sort of what's happening with these, you know, sort of new emerging brands, there's always a larger meaning to the brand. If you're trying to build a company that doesn't have a larger kind of purpose, it's very hard to grow scale. The data market is probably the worst culprit of this, like compared to any other industry in the world. Like even oil companies are trying to get kind of ESG compliant, not the data industry. So that's my kind of ramble on that. As it relates to your data, um, the data market is incredibly fractionalized. So your credit card data is with one person. Your social platform data is with the platform that you logged into. Um, the website data that you have is being logged by somebody or being crawled by somebody else. So your data is sitting in a variety of these different places. There's a couple problems with this is that, you know, if you look today, there's no way for you as a consumer to universally opt out. So the consumer has been, the market has been rigged against the consumer where you're playing a game of whack-a-mole should you choose to want with it to, that you want to opt out. So if you wanted to opt out of social, you got to go platform by platform by platform to opt out. Um, and there's no sort of common element associated to that. So it's, it's an impossible thing for the consumers to do that. Um, and depending upon kind of the data that, you, that you're sharing, your social data um, from the moment you logged into the platform until today, all of that data is in there. From, so from history all the way to the future. So I think what we've tried to do here is to say, um, let's look to see kind of what data has been leaked via data hacks, what data is actually being amalgamated and sold by data brokers. Some of this data is, in, is recent as of, you know, today or yesterday. And a lot of it, though, is actually old. Uh, some of it's upwards to kind of 10 years old. Um, and so what we've really tried to do is if we can kind of try to, if we can amalgamate these various different sources together, we can provide you with a holistic view of all of the data that's currently being amalgamated and sold um, on you. The, the slippery slope here is that not all of it is accurate. And you know, that's kind of the dirty secret of the data market. Um, because most of the data is not actually ever touching the consumer and it's actually being traded amongst parties without consumer involvement, there's no way to determine if the actual data is still valid, operational, live, or has changed. So on average, we're finding that 
you know, when we bring data in or when we look at data, like 30 plus percent of the data is just non-operational, not outright fraud. It's just data. You know, there'll be email addresses from you based on your college, you know, that you went to or an old credit card that you might have or an old car that you used to drive. I mean, it's all, there's no way to kind of clean that data and edit that data. We provide that functionality as part of that amalgamation of the data. And that's on the consumer side. So in theory, then I could log in, see my data, correct the, the places that were either grossly just wrong or update things that were just simply out of date. Yeah. And I think, again, an, a, a crude analogy here would be think about it as your credit score, right? So Bank of America would never consider giving you a mortgage without kind of re-examining your credit score. Um, if you have a poor credit score, you as a consumer can go in there and look to make improvements to make that better. Um, the data market operates with no transparency um, for you as a consumer, and there is no editability for you as a consumer. And so all these decisions are being made without any validation on the data. So there's a lot of issues as it relates to fidelity um, and accuracy as it relates to data. This is the other kind of byproduct of, you know, look, if you sort of zoom away from what's happening in the data market today, all of the issues that we're experiencing data today really come as a due to a disintermediation of the consumer from their data. The, the moment we decided to turn you into a human CDO by arbitraging your data to hundreds of other firms without your inclusion was the moment that we put this entire industry on a collision course with privacy regulation. And the issues that we have today regarding privacy, consent, fidelity, transparency, fraud, these are all a byproduct of you wouldn't have these problems if you actually did, didn't remove the consumer from the conversation. You removed the consumer from the conversation, and now you have issues with fraud, transparency, consent, privacy. So the legislation that has happened now is saying, well, we're actually going to make the force the consumer back into this equation. And so a lot of that data that people have been kind of using up until now is, is going is to fall, fall away. So we think it's actually, it, it will be a bit painful for the business as they lose increasingly a lot of the supply that's in the market today that powers their business. But longer term, it will be good for the business because you're going to be dealing with a more compliant, higher fidelity data source. We've heard a lot about the changes in iOS that have pretty much scared the industry silly. And then, you know, on top of that, the demise of the cookie when it eventually happens. Are you finding then that consumers are receptive to this versus the old way? I mean, I know that statistics are all over the board, but generally pretty high when it comes to, you know, how many people when that when, you, when your iPhone prompts you, do you want to pass along this data? We're being told that almost across the board, everybody is just resoundingly choosing, no, I do not. Do you see that changing if that prompt becomes, hey, do you want to share this? And you would be compensated for it in some way, and you'd be allowed to see it, and you'd be allowed to change it and update it and get that monthly paycheck for it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that there's, I mean, it's it's easy. What you just did there is, is exactly what we did as a product. We gravitated to kind of that lowest common denominator and that kind of primal urge of my data equals money, therefore kind of, you know, pay me. I think over the past year, we've kind of learned that there's more to it than just that. But kind of coming back to the ATT component as it relates to Apple, I mean, for us, this is a huge validation of our model. As mentioned before, you have a $400 billion market that, that operates primarily without consent. But yet when asked, when consumers are asked, 95 plus percent of them don't want to be tracked. So what could possibly go wrong in that environment? <laughs> like you're talking about like two freight trains 
um, you know, going 150 miles an hour towards each other. So, you know, I think, you know, the takeaway here and what's interesting is we made maybe the miscalculation that we actually thought that the privacy legislation that we saw happening in Europe was actually going to drive most of the change in the marketplace. And that we thought that, you know, brands and Fortune 500 brands were going to want to be on the right side of compliance. That's actually not true. And I think what's been a little discouraging is that even though most people are progressive and they understand that they need to have consent and compliance around the data, that's almost secondary. So the majority of conversations you have as it relates to the MarTech or AdTech ecosystem are, how is your data exposed to cookies? How is your data exposed to the mobile ID? Consent and regulation is secondary. You know, they'll take data. I mean, the industry is taking data from wherever they can get it as long as they can mitigate their exposure to the cookie and or the mobile ID. Now, what they're not identifying, what the industry is not identifying is the changes as it relates to ATT and the cookie deprecation are a byproduct of the regulation that came out in Europe. And so the baton is being picked up by big tech who in turn are using it as a way to differentiate their products. Apple is clearly leaning into this notion of, well, we're a company that is fixated on privacy and that's why you should trust us. Whether you believe that or not is another, probably another <laughs> you know, The second component is Google's doing the same thing. They're using privacy legislation as a way to deprecate the cookie. Now, the cook, there's 2 billion websites in the world today, all of which that have a dependency on the cookie. Google has 65% global penetration of the cookie. So that is forcing all of those 2 billion websites into the marketplace to actually find a new supplier or a new solution to actually offset the risk there. Uh, you know, what we believe is that kind of going forward, Google is going to become a completely walled garden. It will look like Facebook. No data will get on or off Google Island. And, you know, Apple is going to kind of do the same, which, you know, puts a big question mark in the middle of the ecosystem to say, well, what happens to the open web? And are those 2 billion kind of publishers who have a dependency on this data? This market requires and needs a company like Reclaim to actually operate in the marketplace, because without it, you're going to be beholden to these individualized kind of walled gardens. And so, um, you know, that's how we've been kind of positioning it. Neil, it's been wonderful to talk to you. Where can people find out more about Reclaim? Yeah, so you can obviously follow us on all the traditional social channels or on LinkedIn, but you can also find us at Reclaim Yours. And I would encourage anybody to, you know, to explore it. Um, you can put in an identifier, whether that's an email address or a phone number in the product. Uh, and we will look up to see all of the data that's in the marketplace on you. You can then make the decision as to whether or not you'd like to set up an account and put it underneath your control. Um, we think most people, when they actually see how much data is out there in the marketplace, are a bit shocked and inevitably um, take that next step of putting it under their control. And then what you choose to do with that data is up to you. And what we say all the time is like, Reclaim is about taking you back from them. And we think that that's a really important thing in the world today. Thanks for listening to the AW360 podcast from Advertising Week, the global leader in events and content for the advertising, marketing, and technology industries. For more content like this, visit www.advertisingweek.com.